Hi everyone, this is Brian Reisman, host of Side Jams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Be sure to keep up with the show on Facebook, Instagram, or through my Brian Reisman account on Twitter. Hello everyone, I'm Simone from Epica, and you're listening to Side Jams with Brian Reisman. Lee Aaron is a Canadian rock icon and multiple Juno Award nominee. Throughout the 80s and early 90s, the singer-songwriter built up a hard rockin' repertoire with albums such as Metal Queen, Lee Aaron, and Body Rock, scoring hits and big sales in her native Canada. Body Rock went double platinum up north, and she also built up a strong European audience and a cult following here in America where we snagged her albums on import. In the mid-90s, she shifted into an alternative rock mode, and by the turn of the millennium, she was exploring jazz and blues both on album and on tour. And it worked. Check out that era on YouTube. But Lee Aaron kept in touch with her rock roots, and in 2016 released her first rock album in two decades, Fire and Gasoline, which made my top 10 list that year. She followed that up with Diamond Baby Blues and the recent Radio On, another solid collection of tunes that fluidly bridges her hard rock and blues worlds. On top of that, she just reissued last year's holiday album, Almost Christmas, with two new tracks. Her cover choices, which span Pet Shop Boys to Joni Mitchell, are refreshingly different. Although music has been the driving passion in her life, Lee also has many other interests, including interior design, drawing and painting, neuroscience, and more recently, special education. For episode 55 of Psy Jams, we delve into those varied interests and how they have factored into both her artistic development and her role as a parent. She tells me about working on her memoirs, and we also discuss the massive music and movie collection amassed by her husband and drummer, John Cody, and how she and her family benefit from that. This was my second time speaking with Lee, and it was great to learn more about different facets of her life. Thank you for taking the time to chat. Hey, it's, it's awesome. Yes, here we are. Here we are. I was just watching your Vakin appearance in okay. 2018, because I found it on, on I have it up on YouTube, and I was like, that must have been a surreal experience for you. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, Valken is so big. It was yes. sort of, they were like, you know, it's going to take us, it will take 45 minutes, Lee, to go to the other stage where you need to play. And I'm like, really? It's like, it's like nothing is close together there. It's really, really it's the biggest festival. I, one of the biggest festivals I think I ever played. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I've never been there. I know they've got the two main stages next to each other. And there's got to be a lot of other stuff going on. And they have so many bands, um, which is yeah. we sort of have here, but we don't have anything like that here. <laughs> Where are you located? I'm on Long Island. You're Long Island. Oh, OK. Right. Yeah. So I'm about I'm yeah. close to the city. My girlfriend lives in Brooklyn. So I go sort of back and forth. I've been doing that during the pandemic. I'm enjoying the new album. Oh, thank you. It's interesting because like I listened to the song Come On and then there's also 21. But like. A song like Come On is sung differently by you today than, say, if, if quoting another song, 21-year-old Lee Aaron sang the same song back then. Because it's sort of, it's interesting how in one song you view yourself, actually both songs really, you kind of, it's, it's sort of taking a younger perspective. Like, I don't really feel my age. And, I, and my grandfather made it, to, my mom's father made it to almost 94. And I say, Abuelo, how old are you? And he goes, 26. And that was, <laughs> that was his attitude. And I feel like a perpetual 29-year-old. Like, my, maybe my body doesn't think so. But like, you know, you're, you're sort of looking at that wistfully in the last song, but then even something like Come On almost feels like, even as when you get to be older as an adult and you're still interested in somebody, you can solve those insecurities. You know what? This has been my dilemma as I've gotten older and wiser and 
hopefully matured in my songwriting. You know, what I have to say is that if, for some of my colleagues out there, my rock and roll colleagues, if you're, sorry, but if you're over 45 and you're still writing songs about carousing with women and partying <laughs> it up, it's like, get a life because I'm not buying it. You know, I don't know about you, but it's just like, it seems a little immature. And um, yeah. so, yeah, my, my thing is lately has been like, how do I write a, how do you still write a love song, but make it a mature love song. Right. And, um, and when, um, when we wrote, come on, I thought, okay, the whole thing of, you know, whether you're 20 or whether you're 60, you know, the idea, you know, say you get divorced in your mid fifties or something and you're, it's your second chance at love, right? You're still going to have all those, you know, you bring all that childhood insecurity with you, no matter what age you are. And that hesitancy, it's not like you're just all of a sudden like, Hey, you know, like I've got it. I'm, I'm 55 now. Well, I mean, it's also, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the idea that uh, the other insecurities slip in. You know, the the whole hairband thing, I mean, that was, I just wrote a story on the, oh, sort of the, how the 80s never die for NBC Think because, because I was realizing that we still have this 80s, we had a 20 year 80s revival going on in America. I don't know about Canada, but it never dies. Like, yeah, we're in the tw- it's 2021 now. And yet I feel like a lot of what's influencing popular culture is still 80s. Like it's still going back <laughs> to that time period for better and for worse. There's some cool things. There's also the greed is good thing that wasn't good about the 80s yeah, and a lot of the yeah. politics. So we have this thing going on. And yeah, I mean, there's certain things you can get away with writing about. I mean, there's certain bands like Judas Priest that managed to get away with writing, but being sort of very metal. But there's other songs also that they write lyrics to that are more mature. You know, there are bands that are getting older and they look at things and they can they can have some of those anthems, but then they have things that sort of reflect a more mature. Like Uriah Heap is like that. Uriah Heap's lyrics in the last 20, 25 years are really interesting. And a lot of the music is fantastic. America's not going to really notice it so much. But I listen to it and I'm like, yeah, these are really interesting songs. Like, yes, there's songs about love and loving and whatever else, but it's told from a very different perspective. And ideas are like, where are you going with your life? And what are you, where are you at now? And I'm sure you think about that too. I mean, you, you're also a mom. So like that's changed your perspective yeah. on things. Oh, I think that becoming a parent is the biggest the biggest thing to shift, shift your worldview, right? Yeah. Because all of a sudden you're like, it's, it's not all about me. And, you know, certainly in the lot, like our children are 16 and 15 and 16. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, all of a sudden I care so much more about environmental issues and politics. And because you care about the world that your children are yeah. going to be living the rest of their life in. Right. And to be honest with you, most young people right now think we've screwed it up pretty badly. I mean, oh, I, and I, but that's the, where I have the hope that maybe people, your, your kids age are actually going to do more. I don't know. I feel like hopefully there's some change, but, but then you don't, you still have, what I like is you still have like, you're taking a lot of the elements you did before, like your hard rock from like the eighties and then some of the bluesier stuff you did later on. And you're sort of marrying the two. Thank you. I'm so glad you're hearing that because I've said that. And if you like, some people are a little confused, they'll go like, you know, it's, it's, it's like you used to be metal, but now you're not metal anymore. And they, they need to, they need to have it explained to them. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, there's only one band in the entire world that has been able to make the same record over and over again, their entire career and be successful at it. And that's ACDC, you know, (laughs) really, when you think about it, you know, I mean, and they're great, but I'm a fan, right? Like I love, all kinds of different music uh, to me there's only good and bad you know and um 
I like a lot of jazz. I like a lot of blues. I you like did jazz. Of, I mean, you know, that's. <laughs> yeah, I like a lot of alt music. I like, I, like, I like some really bizarre, like I love Sufi and Stevens. Like a lot of, I like a lot of really, you know, left to center kind of stuff. And um, oh, same here. All of that, I think, creeps into, I think when you're a fan, I just allow myself to absorb things like a sponge and all of, I find like little things like that creep out. But, you know, my main, main kind of influences from when I was, you know, a teenager, because that is the music that I think is probably the, the most impactful to your um, development. Of course. When yeah. you're, you know, when you're a young person, like everybody thinks the music of their teenagerhood is the best music ever. Right. And um Yep. Back then I was, you know, I was listening to Zeppelin and Hart and The Who and The Runaways and Fleetwood Mac, you know, like I hear like there's times when I'll be in the studio and I'm saying to my guitar player, I need you to do more Lindsay Mitchell, you know, um, Lindsay Buckingham, sorry, Lindsay Buckingham kind of solo, right? And um, yeah, so all of that stuff creeps into my music. I know it does. Oh, sure. And but at the same time, you still have that fire. So that's the fun part is that you still have that energy. Um, it's just sort of directed in a different way. My podcast to talk about music, but I also talk about people's like hobbies and outside passions, the side jams, oh, all okay. about what they do outside of music. Like the other day I was talking to Rick Allen from Def Leppard about his painting. And I talked to Phil X from Bon Jovi about his charity work. So I figure there's got to be something that you like outside of music. So a couple of different things. Um, it's funny because I get asked a lot, you know, what would you have done if you weren't in music? And um, mm. what, before I actually went on the road, I was in, um, enrolled in a Bachelor of Arts uh, program for interior design because I'm very really? much into very much into aesthetic. I'm kind of addicted to decorating magazines and like my house. Like I've I have this this uh, lovely uh, partition behind me right now. The screen, because, yeah, yeah. So because I'm actually. We have a very, very long, long house and the internet only sort of works really well for Skype and Zoom at this end. So my family's <laughs> like, we want to be able to walk around behind you and make cookies, mom. <laughs> like, so, yeah. That would be funny if they actually did pro up, they show up or they bring you some cookies. That's what they should do. <laughs> yeah, cookies would be good. <laughs> so where did, where did you study? Where did you study interior design again? No, I didn't study interior design. I was enrolled, but then I ended up going on the road, but I was enrolled in Humber College. Um, in Toronto. After that, yeah, yeah. Actually, I did go back to school um, a few years ago. Um, and I don't want to talk about it too much, but my son, our son, like he's brilliant in an Elon Musky kind of way, if that makes sense. So when he was young, he had some spectrumy kind of challenges at school, right. if that makes sense. Um, he's diagnosed with super high functioning autism. And um, I was spending so much time at school tutoring and helping and Someone said, you know, you should just get paid for this or you should go back to college anyway. So I went back and got a degree in special education. That's cool. Because I wanted to help my son. And then I ended up um, for a while, and I still do occasionally, um, work with the local school district and within my local community, um, working with uh, special needs youth. And I love it. It's, um, I find it extremely rewarding. And let's face it, just about every musician in the world is on the spectrum a little bit. So it feels very natural to be doing this style, style of work. <laughs> well, Gary Newman talked to me about the fact that he has Asperger's. So he was talking about that and how that's great for his art, but maybe not always great for social circumstance settings. He has to kind of be aware of his reactions to things. You know, and you know what? I was 
I don't know what they call it now, ADD, but I was diagnosed as a child with hyperactivity disorder. And I know that I, I had ADHD when I was a kid. And that, that was, a, they medicated me when I was little, it was an issue for me. And mm. I've always been that kind of person as well, where I can be having a conversation, but I'm thinking about something. <laughs> oh, no, I, 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 I trust me. On. I, my, I had someone, someone suggested to me that I was, I mean, I, th- I feel like I am ADD, but someone suggested I might be ADHD because I do that. So I might say something to you, for example, and you'll jump to a topic in your head. And so they're having this conversation with you, but then there's something else forming in yeah, your head. Yeah, I, I have that ability to compartmentalize yeah. inside my brain and I can sort of have two complete trains of thought going on at the same time. And my friends just think that's weird <laughs> or they'll go, are you paying attention to me? <laughs> well, I have a friend who jokes. He's like, yes, I speak Reisman because sometimes I'll talk to him and I'll skip to a topic, which is an offshoot of what we were talking about. But somehow I, I missed making the connection as to why I was going to that topic. When I reverse it and I explain it, they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You can do those million leaps. Yes, yes. I can do that too. So there, yeah. But yeah, I, it's it's fascinating. And I, and you know, I, overall, it just it's taught me a lot about myself, about my children and about humanity doing, work, doing that kind of work as well. Because, um, you know, you start... There, you know, expecting children to fit into a very, very narrow mold within the school industry, you know, yeah, in the education system, it's just not realistic. You know, there are multiple intelligences. We all have different giftings in different areas. And I think one of the things that I enjoy most and makes me kind of good at that is because I'm able to get to know a child and go, well, this, this kid loves this and they and they're very visual and they learn this way and you 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 know getting them to write out lines like this this is just not i'm going to show them how to use powerpoint because well why not well that's a that's a way that they can show their learning in a visual manner you know and uh i i just i find it fascinating so well i mean there are different intelligences and i think when i was younger i mean i got good grades but i tell you man i I was an honor student in high school and i don't remember almost anything i learned (laughs) i mean and I think it's kind of maybe a problem of what you might find with some students is that you're going to learn things if you like the topic you're interested or if the teacher makes it engaging. And if not, it doesn't matter how hard you try. It's just not going to work. You're not going to retain it because it's just of no interest to you. And, you know, artists also, we kind of work in a different way. A lot of times when I mean, you're talking about, there's our, I mean, David Byrne, I think has talked about, I think it's David Byrne has talked about maybe being on the spectrum. There's certain artists that have talked about. Oh, it. totally. Yeah. He's brilliant, though. But that's the thing. It's finding a way to utilize that energy in the right way to make that work with with your music. And I'm sure you've met a lot of other musicians and artists that are the same way. They're a little different, quote unquote, but they've turned oh, it into absolutely. something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that, you know, getting to know people and certainly when you're in a studio environment and you're recording and you're trying to get the best performance out of everyone, if you're producing, which is I produced my last six albums, um, understand standing and recognizing those idiosyncrasies, you know, within the people you're working with and knowing that, you know, this is not the way to approach this with this person because it's not going to work. Right. Um, is uh, something that I think is really important to learn. Um, and that, yeah, everybody's different. Just, I guess this is the same thing in life. You have to learn how to understand people's personalities and you can have a great band that's very volatile and that sort of works, but after a while it's not going to last. And if you know how to coordinate all these things and make it work, I guess it's better, which is not that easy. You have to be kind of a politician at the same time as a, as an artist. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Cause I, I don't think there's ever been a studio session that's gone by without 
somebody kind of blowing up over something or getting upset about something. Yeah. But you, but quite often it's not, it's not me. It was like the last time, um, not this album, but the album previous to that, it was our engineer who just, we didn't realize that he was a fantastic engineer, but he had no people skills. And it was like, yeah. so at one point in time, his thing was, if I really put them down and make them feel bad, they're going to play better. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't do that to my bass player. He's going to blow up at you. And he did. He came into the control room and he's like, you're a crap engineer and you can't talk to people that way. And so there was this whole scene. And then I'm like, okay, you know what? We're all going to go, you know, get sushi and relax and <laughs> take a little breather right now. And, um, sort through this but um every musician has a different way of operating and and yeah i guess i've we've already said that yeah, just figuring out what yeah. you know makes them click and what what is the thing that is going to bring to me a great producer is someone who can go in not tell somebody what to do but bring the best of what they do out of them yeah. But, and usually that's with, you know, positive reinforcement and encouragement, right? That's like teaching too. It's like what you were talking about. I mean, that's the thing I remember at elementary schools. I had certain teachers that were really cool and it encouraged my creativity. Other ones, it just, there's one I remember just wasn't very, wasn't very pleasant. I have no idea why she didn't like me. And it becomes a personality thing. It's like, okay, no idea. I, I had a teacher like that. And I had a teacher, I skipped, um, my grade 11 art teacher thought that I was, really gifted that's the other thing i do is i is i do draw i used to paint i haven't had a chance to paint very oh, much wow. lately but um, oh, we have to get into this like yeah. I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i probably should be doing more more art but and i probably will I, and i write as well i'm writing a book right now i didn't mention that but um is, it, is this yeah. like a fiction book or is this a memoir book oh it's like lord of the rings no i'm just kidding <laughs> better hurry no, up because amazon's just... putting out a lord of the rings series you got to get something to <laughs> So the competition can have something. Lee of the Rings. But no, um, I have been writing memoirs for off and on for about a decade. But now I've actually gotten serious about putting them into a book form and actually going mm. back and addressing my, you know, in, you know, incidents throughout my childhood that shaped me to become the artist that I ultimately became and some going back and delving into some of that stuff is it's like therapy. It's kind of hard. Well, we had it. We talked about a lot of your early career. I remember that other story. Uh, and we kind of went through your entire career, actually. So, you know, and, and again, the 80s are very different. So women were exploited a lot more. And it's interesting, though, with the whole Me Too movement coming up. I just I thought they're thinking, well, I worked in Hollywood like 30 years ago, and it doesn't seem like a whole lot's changed. Like, <laughs> Maybe wow. not Hollywood. Externally, a lot of it looks like it has, but there's still a lot of issues. I mean, again, I think younger women, it's a, it's a different story now. So, so, you're, so when do you think you would actually finish your memoir? Um, my plan at this point is to have the book released sometime in 2022. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it'll be ready when it's ready. You know, it has to be right. And, um, yeah, but it's great. My husband is a, well, has been, he's right. He's a writer as well. Um, used to write for a couple of different publications up here in Canada. And he's, the, he's my greatest critic, my greatest champion and my best editor. So those are all, all in one. Really, so I've been reading him things as I go along. And he's like, as long as, you know, he said, as long as your story keeps moving forward, you know, that's the most important thing. So. So when it, so you, did you do drawing and painting as a kid? Tons of it. 
Oh, that's what I was going to tell you. So I skipped grade, my grade 11 art instructor. That's right. Well, I should skip grade 12 and go directly to grade 13 art. Um, because I was from Ontario and we had a grade 13 there. I was about to say, we had a right. That's new to me. You didn't know that. Well, I don't know if they still do, but when I went to high school, high school was nine to 13. You could choose to leave in grade 12, but if you wanted to go on to university, you went to 13. So I skipped, I went to grade 13 art. Oh, interesting. And my grade 13 art teacher did not like me. And he marked me so hard. I was so upset. Mm. Like I went from getting like high nineties to getting like 72. And I'm like, what, did, what has he got? He's got it in for me. Right. And he, he lectured me. He said, there are essential, he thought there were essential concepts taught in grade 12 that I, that you just aren't allowed to skip. He was a very, very like, no belief in natural talent. You, he was a by the numbers guy, you know, you need to learn this figure drawing concept before you're allowed to draw this and you've missed that portion of it. And yeah, it was, I, I found it a bit of a, a difficult art year. That's for sure. Did it dissuade you from doing stuff or did you just keep doing things on your own for fun? And then, well, I got really sidetracked by music. This is the thing, right? That's like, true. Yeah. It, because you started young, you did start young in music. Totally. Like the first Lee logo that we ever had was drawn by me. Yay. <laughs> it's kind of cheesy, but you know, Doesn't it's funny. my, my new logo that I had designed two albums ago kind of harkens back a little bit to that. I said, let's bring some of the old Learen kind of vibe back. Right. And yeah, my, yeah. my artwork guy, I worked with him on that. It was, it was really fun. So, yeah. So have you looked at any of your drawings and paintings from when you were younger? Have you gone back to them? Yeah. I have a big folder downstairs. And so I occasionally sort of peek in it. Um, I drew a portrait of my daughter uh, when we were on vacation, I guess a couple of years ago now, um, which I have hanging in the hallway here, but I'm not going to show you. <laughs> I can't, this is a podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so I, you know, I don't practice it quite as much as I should, but um I know one thing for sure. I'm still very, very interested in art and I, and I enjoy drawing portraits and sketching and painting. And so I know that I'll, I'm just never going to be bored when I get older. <laughs> well, this is the thing. And this is what I liked about the pan. Well, and I, I don't like the pandemic, but I mean, I always have something to write or listen to or read or watch. So it's just like, and it, it's hopeless. It, and, and everything got streaming cues. That's so huge. Now I'll never, I'll leave, never leave my apartment again. <laughs> Well, I see you have quite the collection there behind you. Oh, the CDs. Yeah. I mean, I, I love stuff. I love things. You know, I got toys and things. I have, yeah, this is one of my favorites. This is Ned Flanders is the devil. <laughs> it's always the one you, you least expect. Look, I'm, I'm a big kid. I'm, I'm an, I am in touch with my inner child. Although I like to, when my cliche is, there's a difference between being childlike and childish. Getting back to your point about rock bands getting older and the things that they write about and talk about. You can navigate it in a certain way. Well, I was talking about, the reason I brought up your collection is because my, my husband is actually been, is, we call him a musicologist, you know, an audiophile. Uh -huh. yeah. He's been collecting for almost 40 years. And I have every, we have, well, over 200,000 pieces of vinyl in our home. Oh my God. Yeah. This is nothing back here, man. This No, 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 no. <laughs> and like. We have probably 10 times the amount of CDs you have back there. Yeah. And now the, the latest thing has been, we have um, a 
project, we got a projection screen just as COVID hit. It was perfect because oh. <laughs> we never have to go to a movie theater again, you know, ever. We have the you know, box set, classic box sets. Like we've got everything, you name it, we've got it. You know, he's a very hard copy guy. Mm. So we have a massive, massive movie library now as well. And, um, you know, this is something that, you know, we're both super passionate about movies and music. That's the other thing I meant to tell you. Well, you threw me off guard when you say, what are your hobbies? I'm like, I got so many, you know, but. Um, or so you at least, at least you understand in my collecting thing. I mean, I don't have so many crazy, I mean, about a couple thousand CDs or something, but like, it's are not you that. We are, uh, we, it's a long story, but we own property, but the place we own property used to be like a beautiful sleepy seaside town we are being encroached upon by development it's oh. crazy and we've just they're going to take down the beautiful trees to the east and west of our property so we lose privacy because a developer bought the land and it's a long story but we're looking at finally after 20 years to at moving and we have to build an addition onto our home the size of a small gymnasium for my husband's collection <laughs> this i'm not kidding you and oh man because and you know i'm on board with that because i love i love this stuff too but it's um yeah it's challenging it, it's a thing <laughs> it is overwhelming once you get a huge collection the problem is part of the ways of justifying is well if i don't have it in front of me I won't, I won't remember i have it like it's cool to go through your cd collection and go oh there's that lee aaron like live album or bootleg i don't have any bootlegs actually but oh, i can pull it out i can listen to it um, whereas like when you have it on Bandcamp, which I love or Spotify, you don't always remember it because it's, it's not in front of you. Well, my husband has been going through this process of digitally putting everything into this massive hard drive he's got. So he's got it somewhere just backed up. But, um, I hear what you're saying because it took me a while to fully understand, like, why, why do you need to be surrounded by it? like all the time right because if it's in a storage facility somewhere i can't just go get it off the shelf and remember that i have it and look at it and and i can't tell you it's been a <laughs> blessing to me as an artist because well for instance <clears throat> we did a last minute independent little christmas album last year i don't know if i uh, mentioned that to you which is coming out globally this christmas as well so oh, i have nice. I have a Christmas album that's coming out um, on my label uh, okay. for Christmas 2021. And um, my husband just had like, I, I'm like, I'm not doing a traditional Christmas. I'm not just going to do, no one needs to hear Learen sing Silent Night. Nobody needs to hear me do traditional songs. If I'm going to do a Christmas album, I want to do something that's really different. And he just had like so many Christmas songs cataloged at his fingertips. And he's like, Ooh, listen to this one or listen to that one. So like we went through like, <laughs> I don't know, a couple hundred songs and I wow. we landed on some stuff. And I was just like, like, did you know that Mark Everett from the Eels had a Christmas song? Neither did I, but I, I, it's amazing. And I covered it on my Christmas album, you know, like, so just having all of that stuff at your disposal is amazing. And it's like, it's walking, walking into our library is like walking into a musical history lesson every day of my life. It, it's cool, but I can understand when it gets overwhelming. Yeah, I'm, at, I'm at a point now where I don't get as much product, quote unquote, as I used to. And I'm actually good with that. I used to abuse my privilege and get tons of limited edition Blu-rays, all the bonus features. And in the pandemic, I did not catch up. I spent my year, a lot of my money was made doing Blu-ray commentaries for old movies. 
And so I was watching lots of old movies and doing all, it was great. But then I suddenly I'm like, oh crap, I have to catch up with what's been on Netflix, Disney plus Hulu prime. I'm screwed. Like I can't, <laughs> I will never, it will never happen. I'm just, I, it's too much now. There's a huge saturation and like I get overwhelmed. Um, and I got to tell you there, there's been the odd Saturday. I've been sitting here with my kids and we're like, okay, it's a rainy Saturday. Let's just watch a movie. What, an hour later, we're still arguing over what we're going to watch because there's just too much selection. Do you know I, what I, I mean? I have a strategy for this. You have okay, to limit sure. it to 15 minutes. That's it. 15 minutes. And, you know, and, and then also then if you start watching something, I don't know if you used to do this when you were younger, I would, I would, even if it's sort of a bad cult and I love cult movies, especially in horror movies, like, all right, I'm going to watch, I'm going to make it all the way through. There's going to be some big payoff. And now it's like 15 minutes in. Like, if you suck, you suck, you're out. I am yeah, not, well, I, I'm not wasting my life doing that. <laughs> my son tried to get me to watch Walking, or not Walking, uh, what was it called? Um, Evil Dead 2. <laughs> Evil Dead 2. That's a fun one. Like, 10 minutes in, I'm like, dude, I can't do this with you. It's just way too bad. He's like, no, 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 mom, it's a cult thing. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just bad. <laughs> anyway, like, you know, the cool thing about owning a lot of stuff is like, for instance, we were... <clears throat> My 15-year-old wanted to see Scarface, which is kind of a Al Pacino classic, but it is restricted. And it's um, borderline for that age, given how violent it is. It's pretty heavy. And my husband said, you know, how about we watch like the 1932 Scarface? You're aware that there's a 1932 yeah. Scarface, right? That was produced by Howard Hughes. Paul Mooney was the lead in that. That's correct. And oh. so much tamer, but <laughs> he got to see the story. He said, we watched the classic then we'll watch the, the Al Pacino version. And that's what we did. And so now he's moving on to, you know, how was Quentin Tarantino influenced by Kurosawa? So <laughs> we're, we're kind of going here. You're giving them a good education. I need film education. I'm, a, I'm big on that for sure. Well, this is, and this is the thing. It's like, I, I feel fortunate. I went to a good school system. And even if I wasn't totally thrilled with the town, sometimes I'm glad I learned a lot of different things because I feel like that's definitely, it was definitely helping my career. Luckily, I have a career where that was able to be of use. But it's <laughs> interesting how people don't make connections between things. I mean, even Star Wars is influenced by Kurosawa and Forbidden Planet and all these other things. And Oh, absolutely. Older yeah. fans know that, but but even some of the older fans don't know that. And the younger fans certainly don't know that, I don't think, um, unless they really dig into it. The advantage your kids have is this thing called the Internet, which we didn't have growing up. I sort of have a theory and I don't know if you, you could probably, you could probably tell me this is, you think this is right or wrong. Like when it comes to music, I think younger people listen to a wider range of music than we did growing up. However, I don't think they absorb it with the same intensity that we did listening to music growing up. That's an interesting thing to say because um, my daughter uh, is 16. Our daughter is 16 and she likes a lot of alt, I don't know, alt folk and, different kind of stuff. And, yeah. you know, I've never heard her be super passionate the way I was when I was a kid. Bon Iver, Bonnie Iver, is that how you pronounce it? I think Maybe it's Bonnie Iver, yes. Yeah, yes. she likes him a lot. Um, but I got to tell you, our son, though, again, he is obs the obsessive one, right? The obsessive guy. Okay. <laughs> and he gets very <laughs> focused on what he likes, and it's this way. He loves Green Day and Blink-182. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> and he's extremely <laughs> passionate about it. Like, oh, he likes That's the white cool. stripes now too. He just got the white stripes greatest hits. And now he's starting yeah. to collect vinyl, which is scaring me a little bit because if he's anything like his father, we're just going to have to get another house. 
I'm, I think I'm going to develop a web series idea and it's going to make a series of interviews with you. And it's every three or four months. And gradually in the background, there's more stacks of things. And then finally <laughs> when I interview you, your head is going to be in this box and there's going to be nothing else except vinyl around you. I, <laughs> you mentioned interior design, which interests, I'm curious as to why that, and if that related at all to drawing and painting. Well, it's all, it's all an art form, right? And um, I don't know, I just became very, very interested in, you know, aesthetic kind of, and, and I, I guess that kind of relates to performance and stage clothes and mm -hmm. the way your stage looks and the lighting and the whole vibe. I was always very, you know, um, you know, and they, I got to be honest, you know, I don't want to talk a lot about my child, but I felt like there were, there's a lot of things I couldn't control when I was a kid. So as I got older, yeah. the idea of being able to control my environment became uh -huh. extremely important to me. And so in the eighties, I had this house um, in the Toronto area and I had all black leather furniture, obscure Picasso prints all over the wall, the marble table, the halogen lamps. Mm. I had this dining room table that was sort of propped up on this unique brick design with glass and like friends would come in my house and they'd go, it's uh, people, people live here, right? It's not a museum. <laughs> Oh, and then I at, at that point, I had no children. <laughs> so what I can tell you is that after becoming a mother, all of that just kind of went out the window. <laughs> because It's like, you know, you want your house to look nice, forget it. You know, there's just like hair, dog hair balls and little fingerprints on everything. And so I had to really get over some of that after I had children. But um, but it is something that's important to me. And it's something that, you know, now now my daughter is kind of into it as well, because she, uh, you know, uh -huh. she, she's I have redecorated her room. Oh, my gosh. Like four or five times since she's her, you know. She was a, when she was a little kid, it was this beautiful purple with angel pictures on the wall. Then yeah. she got into Tinkerbell and I literally painted this whole collage of Tinkerbell on her wall. And then she went hot pink with an Audrey Hepburn pick, black and white picture on her wall. Yeah, she's had some different things. So she's she's kind of like a mini me. <laughs> literally a mini me. Yeah. Then she had the surf room all surfing like stuff. And then uh, now it's just plain white with like little garden lights hung across the wall. She's like, everything has to be white. So I don't know. That's yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you know, it's interesting to hear what like people's different interests are. I mean, I realized that my hobbies became my job, but it's hard sometimes too. I mean, when you get very wrapped up in creating something, everything else goes out the window, right? It's like, it doesn't well, really matter. Because and that's like what it is. Like all of these other things that I like, enjoy it. Like I, like I took up running as well a few years ago. So I run, I've got a treadmill, I run outside, I run and I hike. And that's sort of like just trying to defy aging, right? Because if you, you don't use it, you lose it. You know that, right? And yeah. um if your body is not active and I've, I've really realized that being active is one of the things that just, you know, makes, you know, my brain feel better. It makes my body feel better. Um, but yeah, that traveling, I love to travel, but music has been my main focus right throughout my life. And when I'm creating and I'm working on writing a record and especially when we get into the studio and we're actually recording an album um, you know, yeah, like everything sort of, my I get tunnel vision and that's that's what it's like for me yeah no I get like that I'm not, I think I've, I've slowed down a little bit like lately I'm just like oh. 
I just, I do so much. What I'm tired of now is typing. I'm a writer, but I have to type out messages and I have to do so much stuff. I've even started this thing with a couple of publicists is we send each other voice messages through Instagram. So okay. we don't actually talk. We don't type anything. We're just like, so I was thinking about this idea, blah, blah, blah. And then they respond with their own little recorded voice fragment and it goes back and forth. I'm like, it's weird, but I kind of like it. Cause I feel like we are in information overload now. And even with computers, like, you know, you get to certain point, I'm starting to get a little bit of arthritis in my pinky and stuff like that. And a lot of this stuff, we, we spend a lot of time in front of screens. It's not the way it was probably back in the 80s when you started well, doing all no, this stuff. Well, no, you're you're 100% right. And it, it's interesting because one of, like, I did study some um, neuroscience and behavioral science in college, yeah. as well as a variety of other things. But one of the things that I was very, very fascinated about was the impact of this visual medium, social media, the internet, People like a group of kids standing around and they're none of them are talking to each other. They're all on their phones, you know, um, and how how is that actually impacting, you know, modern culture and, you know, our children as their brains and as people. And one of my first papers in college was all about that was the decline of emotional intelligence, because what is act, and I did a whole bunch of research on this. What is actually happening is that the less human face-to-face contact we have part of an essential part of our development. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm like really breaking this down into simplistic layman terms, but you know, part of our development physiologically and emotionally when we are young is being able to read our mother's facial expressions and the people around us. This is a very super important part of our development and it continues throughout are, you know, developmental years where, you know, if you're, say you're telling me a story and I, you're my be- one of my best friends and you're telling me that, you know, your parent passed away and that you got to spend these last and you, you, your voice breaks and you start to cry. And, and I'm like, and I, and then suddenly I'm feeling those feelings that you're feeling because you're conveying them to me in such a way. And I'm reading your facial expressions and what happens in your brain is all my, there's these things called mirror neurons. So my neurons in my brain mirror your feelings and they make me feel what you're feeling. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I might, I might start to cry just because I never even met your dad, but I feel so sad for you. It's it's, these are the roots of empathy and compassion And what is happening nowadays is so much less of this type of interaction is happening that our compassion and empathy level is declining at a, since about the year 2000 at a, at a rate of about 1% a year. So today's generation is about 20% less compassionate and empathetic as Mm. than we were, because these guys are like, Oh, too bad about your dad. Sad face emoji. But then, of course, we have the opposite problem with people our age group that like all the social media vitriol that I saw. It's like it's like it's like expressing your emotions, but putting them on a screen and directing them at people rather than in real life, because you wouldn't say half of that shit in real life. You would not do that. That's a bit that's a bit of a different issue than. Yeah, I guess. Empathy. But I I mean, I guess it when you when you bring it up that way, it does. It is connected in that. Now people have a forum, a faceless forum yeah. where they can say whatever the hell they want without, um, with, with 
anonymous identities. Like it's interesting because yeah. I was just watching, I don't know, you know, there's a new documentary on QAnon, the, in the roots mm-hmm. of QAnon and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and all that stuff. And I was watching that last night and I was thinking, man, like I don't go on those places ever, but wow, there's free speech. And then there's just like a toxic hell crazy town yeah i mean it's crazy town you know what i mean you are absolutely right like that is just i don't know it what is it's there's been a lot of a lot of that emotional stuff and after a while i'm like even even with even people who say have the same politics as me i'm sometimes people get really sensitive i'm like oh. i get tired so i actually don't post about politics as much anymore and i notice people aren't as interested in it anymore i think people are burnt out now but i'm hoping i'm hoping even despite what you're saying with some younger people i'm hoping that there are at least on a practical level, as far as dealing with the environment and certain social issues that younger people are going to be aware of the fact that things need to change because we need some of these changes coming up. That's what I was saying earlier about rock and roll. Like I hope I, I, I kind of do want a rocker to come along and just pisses everybody off, just, just pisses everybody off and says some things maybe we're not comfortable with, but you have to acknowledge that are true because nothing in life is really black and white. It's very, it's, it gets all very complicated, but. Uh, well, and you never know who you're like, yeah. You never know who you're going to offend. Like you talk about politics and. Um, yeah. I have been extremely careful on my socials to never post an opinion either way, especially yeah, yeah. throughout the last administration, because, and believe uh, me, I had a lot of feelings and I had a lot of thoughts. And I used to say the joke to the guys in my band, I go, people must just think the Aaron is this vacuous little chick that has nothing, no opinion about anything. But I'm well aware of the fact that, you know, my fan, a lot of my fans, you know, some of them were Trump fans and some of them were Biden fans. Yeah. Some of them were Republicans, some of them are Democrat. And, you know, and I respect that. I respect whatever side you're on. And yeah. no matter what I think, I didn't think it was my place to be voicing those kinds of opinions. And finally, when the election was finished, I someone posted that someone that I know posted a picture of, you know, someone holding masked up, holding a Trump Pence sign. And that other guy on the other side of the sidewalk was holding a, a you know, a Biden Harris sign masked up. And they were actually reaching out and shaking hands across the sidewalk masked up. And I thought, what a beautiful thing. Like that is, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the two sides are showing each other, you know, respect and making their peace. And I posted that picture and I just said, you know, that's a beautiful thing. And then somebody on my socials went, yeah, we'll be okay, dude. We're both white dudes. And I'm like, how did this become a, how did this become a race thing? What well, there's, like, there's always, there's always an, there's always an agenda and I get it on a basic level, but come on. Well, and I just about died. I went like, oh my gosh, I can't even post something that is peaceful, you know, when all of the, you know. Well, it's, I remember I interviewed Tori Amos, was it last year? I think it was, it was last year for yeah. her book. And, and she said she doesn't go on social media. She's like, she says, I have no idea what that would do to my psyche. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're probably just as well not to do it. Or I think a lot of famous people who post have somebody else put it up or they post it and they don't bother to read any of the responses. I've written some stories Sometimes I write an opinion and someone's not going to agree with it. And I was like, I've just, I just don't care anymore. Like I don't bother because at first I'll, I, you'd be shocked by some of the comments you get. Then you're like, you know, these people literally don't know who I am. So what the hell do I care what they think? And hopefully we'll get, so we'll get your Christmas album and hopefully, well, I guess we'll get some live dates. You haven't played North America. I mean, you've played North America, Canada, but you haven't played the States in a while. Well, yeah, I have a bunch of shows that have been pushed into 2022, but um, one of the things, like I, I definitely have a cult following of people in the United States, but sure. a lot of 
Canadian artists um, were sort of victims of this. They got a big record deal in Canada and just had the hardest time getting anything off the ground in the States. So when I signed my deal in Canada, I was young. I signed my worldwide licensing rights away to my label when I was like 20, because I didn't really understand what that entailed, but that gave them the right to secure uh, distribution for me in every other country in the world, not me personally. So as a result, I never had proper distribution of my albums in the United States, even when I was on my most successful records. So a lot of people ask me that and they go, well, how come you weren't that successful down here? And it's like, it wasn't that I didn't, it's because I didn't have the opportunity. And there was a time when my label, there was a lot of interest for me because I had hit records in Canada. Like I was double and triple platinum up here Um, and labels were interested, but my label wanted to do a label deal for their whole label for distribution in the States. They didn't want to give away just one or two artists. And so that was, it was a real bad political loophole that I was in business wise that prevented me from having proper distribution in America But now in the last, um, you know, since, you know, 20, my album, I came back with a rock album in 2016. Yeah, Fire and Gasoline. Once you're on Amazon, it's it's global, right? It doesn't really matter anymore. That's true. In terms of being in a brick and mortar store so much, right? So, and I was booked, I was booked for Monsters of Rock. And now I see that it's been remounted. It looks like out of Miami in February, 2022, but it looks like it's all US bands only. Like it doesn't look like they're bringing in any international acts. Huh. So, um, well, hopefully at some point, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll have to get up to Canada, but thank you. Thank you for chatting. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Well, Hey, anytime you want to talk again, we'll just, I guess Nathan sent this up, right? Yeah. 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 So yeah. It'd be fun to talk to your husband about collecting stuff. Cause he's on a different level than me <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm a recreational drummer. So I can at least talk drums with him a bit too. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Anyway. All right. There you go. All right, Brian. You take care. All right. And we'll talk soon. Thanks. All right. right. Bye. Bye. That wraps up this latest episode of Side Jams. The music used in this episode is from Fox and the Law, and I licensed it through AudioSocket. Please stay tuned for the next installment, which will feature Black Veil Bride's frontman, Andy Beersack. It will also be my first video podcast episode for Side Jams. Get ready for the show to go to the next level. Thank you very much for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.